I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is a podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive politics has a lot to offer the modern world. I'm Hannah Shah and I'm joined by Alison McGovern and Stephanie Lloyd to chat Brexit amendments, even more Tory infighting and the immigration bill. Plus, Stefan speaks to Safe Passage CEO Beth Gardner-Smith about their fantastic work with refugees and on immigration. Right, so I'm here today with Alison McGovern MP and Deputy Director of Progress, Stephanie Lloyd. Wow, uh, full titles there. We did, we got full titled. Yeah. Well, I'm still slightly in awe of both of you. Oh, so. shut up. That's embarrassing for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I think first things first, let's talk Brexit. Okay, in more than 15 seconds. In more than 15 seconds, time. please. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Brexit. So crunch week this week um another crunch week well they're to be honest they're all crunchy yeah and that is because the prime minister's strategy is to run down the clock i think to get to the close to the legislated for brexit date of the 29th of march and then to kind of persuade people that they have no other choice but to vote for whatever she puts on the table and the problem with that is that members of parliament in general i mean they want to do this job because they're people who don't like being bullied and who like, you know, finding ways to stand up for the things that they think are right. So the idea that you can bully people into submission is normally, it's not a good starting point, put it that way. So this week we will have amendments where uh, backbenchers from all parties stop the clock and try to f- make space for us to take more control of the process. And and when I say um, stop the clock, it's it's basically trying to make sure that we don't end up in a no deal situation, but also recognizing that actually we've got to find a consensus somehow across the house to do something. And I think that's what we'll have in amendments this week. So, what do you think are some of the key amendments that are going to going to be? We tabled? don't know yet. We don't know yet. We don't know. Have we not got any rumor from people? Well, I don't deal in rumor and conjecture, Stephanie. Of course Lloyd. you don't. Of course you don't. You're in um, politics. But Keir Starmer sort of began talking about it yesterday in in a similar tone. You know, I think that the Labour Party is very worried about us ending up in a no-deal situation, which would be catastrophic 
for the country. So I, I think we'll probably see some sort of Labour amendment asserting our policy. Um, you know, the tests and uh, if all else fails, a public vote. But I think everybody will be focused on making sure that we don't end up with either no deal by default or being forced into a bad deal by default. And what do you think that bad deal might look like? Is that May's deal? So May's deal is bad for the following reason. It answers none of the questions that we need to answer about Brexit. So either you could have a deal that is the kind of thing that maybe um, potentially could get cross-party agreement that was had... Britain participating in single market and a permanent customs union. Mm -hmm. The problem there is that a lot of the Tory MPs do not want that and it, they will uh, take every opportunity to stop that happening. Uh, or the Prime Minister, I think, has always thought she can cobble together some coalition of the DUP, the ERG and as many of the Tory party as she can muster. I think that's a terrible deal because... That means that there will be conditions put in the future framework that that stop us um, having a, a long-term relationship with Europe. And in any case, the, the problem that we've got with the Prime Minister's current approach is that it cannot resolve uh, the question of what you do about the Irish border. So that's why she's in the problem that she's in. So she either has to change and move away from what her party wants, which seems quite unlikely, or we need a different way of deciding how to answer the riddle that is Brexit. Okay, well, that looks like a complicated one. You've said a little bit about what Labour's going to be up to over the next week, but what about the Tory backbenchers? We all know they love to plot. Has anyone heard any rumours? They they do love to plot. I don't know, but the ERG have been talking nicely, but not really changing their position. So a lot of them are now saying, um, you know, they do want to come to a compromise, but the list of things that they still want is extensive so they'll they'll say that they'll agree to the backstop but we can't be held in it against our will but the whole reason for the backstop is to protect Europe's position should the UK try and re unilaterally um, put Ireland into a situation where it had a hard border so so they want the very thing that Europe has a red line over and and you're not going to get a deal if you fail to answer that question. Boris has been all over the papers today. Obviously we record this on Monday. So he's been all over the papers today saying exactly the same thing. You know, it's not a backstop in and of itself that I have a problem with, but it has to be time limited and we have to be able to get out of it ourselves, which obviously totally negates the backstop. If anyone is still slightly confused about the backstop, uh, we had Jonathan Powell on uh, Friday's episode, obviously one of the architects of the Good Friday Agreement, actually explaining what all of this means. So if you are still slightly confused, which is fair, um, you can always go back and have a listen to that one as well. That was yeah. fascinating. I, I did any questions for Radio 4 in, Belf in well, it was in Bangor near Belfast mm. on Friday night. And, you know, it was really, really depressing and that people there just felt like everybody else had forgotten about them you know people were saying to me in the audience afterwards can you just just try and get people to remember we're here and it really really shocks me actually how how little attention Northern Ireland got in the whole Brexit debate mm. to begin with and is still getting really like we talk about 
the backstop as if it's like this amorphous thing that some Tories don't like. Whereas in reality, the reason for this policy is that the European Union wants assurances that the Good Friday Agreement is going to be upheld. And it's the failure of the Tory party to provide those assurances that means it said, okay, we'll take your word that you can have an open border and regulatory checks at the border, which seems to me to be a pretty difficult thing. But that's what the Tory party is saying they can do. It's like, so Europe has said to them, we'll take your word for that, but just to make sure that we're protecting our position legally, we'll have this backstop that uh, you stay in uh, customs union until we've resolved it. The only reason why the backstop comes into play is because the Tory party has no policy for an open border mm. on the island of Ireland. That is the problem. And obviously Jeremy Corbyn wrote to Theresa May last week after he'd sat down with her and laid out what he thought quite clearly was if you move with us and have a permanent customs union, then we will more like, you know, then we will back your deal and we can yeah, get it I through. Mean, to, to be fair, I think people fixate on permanent customs union being the only issue yeah. on the Labour side. It's far from the only mm. issue. And all, and also... But is it far from the only issue for the leadership of Labour? or Because obviously there's much wider issues on the back benches, but do you think there are other issues for, for Jeremy well, the, that, are, that just don't get the airtime well, in the same way? The first thing that should be said is... If you care about the issue itself, mm. then in order to have an open border on the island of Ireland, you need more than the customs union because yeah. it's the regulatory checks that are part of the rules of the single market that are, that are as much a problem. Mm. Um, and as far as Jeremy Corbyn is concerned, you know, my view is that he and every other member of the PLP should stick to what we agreed at conference. Mm. And that is not just about the customs yeah. union. I mean, if you want the member-led Labour Party, it's pretty important to listen to Labour Party conference. Well, it was, you know, the, the motion was very clear. It was, we have six tests. We will, you know, put any deal that comes before us against those six tests. If not, then you go through the motions, mm -hmm. of which yeah. ends up at a public vote. So, um, but how much do you think, because obviously, so there's some interesting stuff that's come out of number 10 today, which was, that was kind of, they kind of felt the period of time where they were like, almost trying to flirt a little bit with the Labour Party and like, maybe we could do this. They've come out, one of their spokespersons have come out today very clearly being like, absolutely not. We're not getting anywhere near a customs union. It's not going to happen. Yeah, it's interesting. Where do you think it? it's going to, where do you think it's going to fall? I guess, I guess some people are playing games trying to t say to the ERG, you know, if you don't like it, then we'll hook up with Jeremy Corbyn, which seems unlikely to me. But, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people playing negotiating games here. Yeah, absolutely. I think we need to remember really clearly that when we're talking about the Irish backstop, it's the DUP who are sort of making all these choices. And actually one thing that I think people forget when talking about Northern Ireland and Ali, you just mentioned it, is that actually power sharing has been broken down in Northern Ireland for the past two years now. Yeah, since 2017. Um, and so it means that the DUP pretty much are the only representatives that the people of Northern Ireland have apart from lady lady sylvia herman yeah who's who an independent fantastic. yeah uh, but yes you know. but um and that is is very 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 problematic because people in northern ireland feel forgotten about their devolved institution has broken down um we are not in a good place and now the tory party is seeking to actively undermine the good friday agreement it's not good cheery stuff yeah, on to something perhaps a little bit more cheery, I know maybe half cheery. You are on the public bill committee for the, let me read the title of the bill, 
The Immigration and Social Security Coordination, open brackets, EU withdrawal, close brackets bill. Can you tell me a bit more about that? I don't know what makes you think it would be cheery. I mean, this is the bill that ends freedom was, of movement. I was slightly Hannah. baffled by that intro. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that there's a chance for us to get something out of it. Well, I don't know. I mean, we, in the end, uh, voted against this bill at second reading. Um, rightly so, in my view. There was a suggestion that we might abstain, but we did in the end vote against it, which I think is right. I mean, it's a pretty pernicious bit of legislation not least because it ends freedom of movement but also because um of the powers it gives to the government and anybody who knows anything about the immigration system in this country knows that secretaries of state can take pretty arbitrary decisions that can impact um individual family life in a very very damaging way and yeah it's not it's not going to be a good situation if basically because of Brexit and the country's attention not being on the new immigration system that's being set up should Brexit happen, then we end up with an even more kind of overly centralised, onerous immigration system that that can have the potential to divide families and to, to restrict people's choices in life in a way that I think could be quite damaging. I mean, it's like... Every every family I know that's ever interacted with the immigration system has thought it to be arbitrary. And I know that it's a difficult political question and immigration always has and always will. You know, since like the Huguenots mm. like came to this country from France, like it, immigration is difficult. Yeah. But that that does not mean we should be blasé about having an immigration system that has a lot of power over people's personal and individual freedoms and <laughs> that was not cheerful well I was hoping you could say that there was there were some movements about some amendments but I guess not there at will this early be I stage. mean we will put down we will put down a lot of stuff um we'll put down a lot of amendments in committee and I think the we have an interview with um with safe passage yes we that do Stefan's done for us um for the second half of the pod today so you know safe passage an organization that deal with the consequences of us not having um, safe and legal routes for um, enough safe and legal routes providing asylum in this country. You know, they, they know exactly and will be able to tell Stefan undoubtedly the consequences of that. Absolutely. And they've got a lot of interesting campaigning work coming up. Last things last, things coming up in the Progress calendar. I'm really excited to say Progress Political Weekend is coming towards us like a cannonball um <laughs> is, that, is that how it feels it feels like that to me because i'm organizing it but it is going to be a fantastic weekend and we really have some brilliant people lined up um and some fascinating sessions which are training gonna be in history going to be doing a live podcast we are yeah i'm excited about live podcast yeah we always yeah we did the first one we ever did was last year yeah at political weekend and it's one of our most listened to episodes really yeah mm. with you and wes not knowing anything about history oh god <laughs> oh that was with brilliant. quiz yeah um, and roger little just answered all of the questions from the floor yeah and you having your fantastic argument about automation which it was is, it was good it um, was good debate it was a debate not an argument no it was an argument so. it was an argument yeah, yeah. i mean it's been rumbling for years to be fair still is mate still is <laughs> are you still winning of course <laughs> <laughs> but no it's going to be a great weekend it's um we've still got bursary places available as well so yeah we do um 
we've totally transformed the agenda this year. We've totally transformed the way that you even apply for bursaries. Um, so there's the possibility of three questions that you can answer and you can literally answer them in any way humanly possible. Wow. So like you can do a Twitter thread, you can do an Insta story, you can do your own podcast, no way. you can do your own video. Like, I don't care. You don't have to write me an essay because we're not at school. So just any way that you want to answer yeah. either kind of what should Labour be talking more about? Who's your political hero or which of the causes of Brexit should we be tackling first? Yeah. And Hit exciting. Hit we've up. had some great creative stuff. Yeah, so we've already had an amazing entry on we've had well, we've had loads that have come in already, but we've had one that really stood out to me was an Instagram story um from a guy called Joe on climate change and all about how the Labour Party needs to be tackling more of the issues of climate change and not just leaving it as a kind of secondary issue, but it's a you know, a real social justice issue in terms of how it works. So we've got some great stuff coming in, but we've got loads more spaces still available. Absolutely. We've got even more people um you know, we've got even, we've got the kind of bigger opportunity to be able to, to give people assistance to be able to attend. So uh, do come along. It is fabulous. It'll be great fun. I, I, I'm very much looking forward to the podcast live again. It's always, it's better when we've got like loads of people in a room. Yeah. All shouting out things. Yeah. It'll be fun. It's going to be great. Really first, fun. First, first live podcast with Henna as host. Ooh. <gasps> Get excited. I'm getting nervous. If you want to see that, uh, do come Don't along. be nervous, Heather. <laughs> um, and I look forward to your really creative bursary applications too. I've really, really enjoyed looking at them. I really, really enjoyed chatting to people about all the fantastic training and stuff that we have to offer this weekend. So be great to see you all there. Yay. And with that, uh, look forward to Stefan speaking to Safe Passage CEO mm. Beth in just a moment. Apart from that, goodbye from me. And me. Bye. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The refugee crisis we're currently facing may not just be the challenge of the decade, but could become the defining challenge of the 21st century. With increasing climate change, famine and war, the numbers of refugees are not set to fall anytime soon. And this has been met in many Western democracies with fear and dehumanisation. Just 0.2% of the world's 68.5 million displaced people are currently here in the UK. 
which begs the obvious question, how can we do more to fulfil our global responsibility? One of the groups trying to push the government to do more is Safe Passage, a legal organisation that works to ensure child refugees can access safe and legal routes to asylum. Luckily, today, we're joined by Beth Gardner-Smith, the CEO of Safe Passage. So, Beth, thanks for joining us. And thank you for having me. So, let's start from first principles, because I know this can be really useful to kind of set the case for why we do this work in the first place and why this is important. Why should countries take in refugees? It's a good question. It's a question I think that countries ask themselves periodically throughout history, in fact. And a country like ours um, that has had a history of taking in refugees, but not necessarily had a history of being refugees and displaced from our our island, um, it is an important question for us to ask. Uh, Do you think we're at another point in history like that you describe? we at another crossroads when it comes to refugees? Certainly. We've got more, as you, you quoted the UN statistics, there are more people who are displaced across the world. There are more refugees than at any time globally in our history. Um, and therefore, there's a much greater need. But what we're seeing globally from governments is not, sadly, them stepping up and offering more places of sanctuary, more more resettlement routes, more safe and legal routes. Actually, what we're seeing is a regression, um, whether that's the United States who, who dramatically cut its offer for resettlement when Donald Trump came to power, or, or Europe closing down its borders um, and retreating to uh, principles of um, of trying to turn people away, um, you know, whether it's in the central Mediterranean or the Tur- EU-Turkey deal with Greece. Um, so, so we're seeing far greater need across, across the world, but also uh, far less action by governments. Yeah. And you mentioned the EU there as an example. And I know one of the countries that has thankfully taken a slight turn for the better, if I'm right, is Spain. Yeah, that's so the- right. Yeah. So, I mean, so Spain has stepped up in the last in the last year, interestingly. Lots of people will have seen the news about the Aquarius ship that was um, interned in port. Um, now we have no search and rescue boats operating in the central Mediterranean at the moment. Um, but Spain, as a government, did offer to take in some of those people from the Aquarius ship. Yeah, so that's that's a positive move. Unfortunately, I wouldn't say it's the trend across Europe at the moment. Sure. And I guess, you know, moving on from that, the UK often feels very far away, you know, even geographically. And I think, um, I mean, what has our response been like to this crisis? Refugees isn't something that seems to get a lot of airtime. It's easy to forget, I guess, that Brexit just started out as a almost row about immigration. And now we're kind of talking about Northern Ireland and all these different things. But while we're kind of embroiled in this internal crisis, um, you've got the kind of broader global refugee crisis. Are we failing our global responsibility as a country? I mean, so I'd say it's it's yes and no. Um, the UK gives a huge amount globally in aid, um, and that's really important. Uh, and we give aid to uh, regions um, which have high proportions of refugees. Um, and and that's really important. It it, it provides um, you know really important resources to those countries that are bearing um, the largest share of the burden when it comes to refugees. Although you know I wouldn't necessarily characterise refugees as a burden, but um, uh, and so that's one important aspect. But the other important aspect is safe routes out of those regions, safe routes out of countries. Um, And that's where I would say we're not stepping up and we're not doing our bit. Um, 
in 2015, when we saw, um, you know, constantly on the news, uh, those images of, of desperate people crossing the Mediterranean, of boats capsizing, of, of people trying to, it, pe people in refugee camps, which were, um, you know, in Calais, in squalid, muds, muddy conditions, um, the government did step forward and say, okay, we'll take 20,000 Syrian refugees um, through resettlement over a period of five years. Now, that was really important. I mean, we'd argue Britain could do much more. Um, and then under incredible pressure from Parliament, it then also agreed to take in a handful of unaccompanied refugee children from Europe as well under what's known as the Dubs Amendment, led by Lord Alf Dubs, who himself was a, a child refugee from the Kindertransport. So we made an offer then, uh, you know, and we did our bit then, but uh, we can do so much more. And actually, we're coming to a point in time when those safe and legal routes uh, are about to expire. And we're at quite a pivotal moment um, in terms of what we do next as a country. I just want to take a little bit of a tangent here, because you mentioned um, earlier on about what's happening at the shores of Europe and um, a lot of progressives are making a, a, you know, a bold and important case for Europe and a more welcoming relationship with Europe and Europe having a more welcoming relationship with the rest of the world. But internally, how Europe has responded to the crisis, I mean, how has that been? Because it's been met with a lot of criticism and you did touch on that before. I just wondered if you could give us more of a sense of how Europe has managed this crisis. I, I think most most people would say Europe has managed it pretty poorly. The founding principles of the European project are obviously solidarity and, and governments acting in concert together to tackle these big, complex issues that we can't tackle alone. And yet when it came to the refugee crisis, as it was known in 2015, unfortunately, governments did go it alone. And the different governments took very different stances and, and Europe seemed and was quite paralysed by by what had happened you know and obviously Germany took one approach which was to say we will you know we'll not turn away people who arrive in Germany you know which was an incredibly progressive approach mm. um, but unfortunately Europe didn't follow suit and unfortunately the British government didn't step up and say yes we will take in 20,000 or 50,000 refugees we will relocate them from the shores of Europe from countries like Greece and Italy who are who were struggling to cope alone um, and had that there been a greater solidarity perhaps we wouldn't have seen what we see now which is um, you know a retrenchment and a backlash um, by governments um, and by you know by the far right across Europe. And so the kind of collapse in multilateralism in Europe more generally must be very concerning for you as a charity. Yeah, I, it is. And 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 we as an organisation then see the result of that in, in terms of the journeys that young people take across Europe. Because if there is no safe and legal option for these kids, whether it's to claim asylum and gain sanctuary in the country where they arrive in, or to reunite with family that they may have elsewhere safely and legally, they will simply turn to the smugglers and traffickers who are whispering in their ear in the camps when they arrive that they can get them there for a price um, overnight. Um, and that's the real tragedy of what happens, you know, that we count the cost in terms of, of the lives of these children and these, and these people who are displaced. And people talk about the dangers of the smuggling and that kind of trade that goes on. I mean, does, is this kind of two birds with one stone that when you have a more welcoming and progressive policy on refugees and safe passage, that actually you kind of take it out of that underground underworld and people are actually far more safer and all the kind of danger that people talk about. And um, 
the precariousness of that crossing is solved when we step up and take our role. I mean, let me give you an example. So we we've worked to support a, a young. He's a he's a young man now. He's nineteen years old. Um, uh, a boy when we met him in Calais, um, and he came um, as a he was a refugee in Calais, Eritrean, um, had fled his home country uh, and had family here in the UK. Um, we came across him in the Calais jungle camp, so that's you know two years ago now, um, and uh, and we started to prepare his case, and then the camp was demolished. Um, he was sent to one of these many reception centres across France, uh, and we thought and we hoped that because of what the UK had promised, he would then be safely reunited quickly with his family. That didn't happen. He wasn't given due process. Um, and so he was then turfed back out. He found himself back in Calais. He spent a period of time homeless. He divert, he contracted tuberculosis, was injured trying to smuggle himself into the back of a lorry. Uh, and then two two years later, we 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 made contact with him again. Um, we pushed his case, and he is finally in the last week. He's finally been reunited with his family safely in the UK. But you know that's taken over two years simply from the point when he was in Calais, um, and the trauma that that child has been through during that period. Um, you know, it, it's it's amazing to me that he hasn't. Uh, he, he hasn't uh, disappeared um, or he hasn't come across illegally through yeah. one of those dangerous journeys in that period because, because the actual legal systems just don't function correctly. I think what's so remarkable about that story um, is that it's a story, it's a powerful story. And now I was talking about the statistics earlier, but it's often those stories like I remember, was it in 2015, the photo of that child on the beach. I remember that. Yeah, Alan Curdy. Yeah, yeah. And, and that had an incredible impact. And the stories of child separation in the United States and the psychological impact it's having. I mean, for you as an organisation, how important is this storytelling and getting the message across? It's really important. It's important, I think, because it cuts through it cuts through a lot of the politics and the rhetoric when you hear a story like that. Um, and you can imagine a child like that and you can imagine, you know, that could be my son or that mm. could be, you know, my my nephew. Um and it's also really important for us because actually refugees need to be leading this this call as well. It's not just you know it, it it's their story, um, and it's a yeah you know, it's really important for young refugees to be telling their story in an authentic way, um, rather than other people telling their story for them. Yeah. And so, turning these stories into action and kind of positive change. What is it that you're working on at the moment that's kind of most important, most pressing for you? Yeah, so we're we're running a campaign called the Our Turn campaign. Um, and it's called Our Turn because we believe as an organisation that it's our generation's turn to step up and do something remarkable, um, to step up in the face of something really, really challenging like uh, the numbers of refugees across the world right now. Um, 80 years ago... Uh, the previous generation did this in the form of the kinder transport. Um, for those people who don't know about the kinder transport, essentially 10,000, roughly 10,000 unaccompanied children came to the UK in the space of just nine months um, before the outbreak of World War II. Uh, Jew, largely Jewish refugee children um, because the British government, after a lot of pressure from civil society, said, yes, we'll grant visas, we'll let these kids in um, to escape Nazi persecution. And we know that, you know, many, perhaps most of those children wouldn't 
be alive still had they not uh, been given that sanctuary. And that's, you know, if you think about it, that's pretty remarkable. Almost 10,000 people uh, provided sanctuary in nine months. I mean, you know, we're struggling as a country to uh, provide sanctuary to 20,000 over five years. Um, So we think it's our generation's turn to do something like that, given the scale of the, of, of the, of the challenge that faces us. Um, and we think that the UK is in a really good position to do that because of our history, um, because of our wealth as a nation, um, and because we are an open society like that. Um, so the campaign, what we're asking the government to do is to make a longer term pledge um, to provide safe and legal routes for child refugees. Um, and we're saying, look, match what we did back then with the kinder transport. Let's match that number. Let's resettle 10,000 of the most at-risk children. So the unaccompanied children, the most at-risk accompanied children over the next 10 years as a country. I kind of want to ask an almost more personal question about this, because you mentioned that it's our generation's turn. And I guess the reason it's our turn is because it's a response to everything that's happening right now. And I guess I have two questions. One is, in a country that's, you know, retreating, seems to be retreating in on itself, in a world that seems to be retreating in on itself. I guess my first question is how difficult are you finding it to make that argument? Because it's it's not a particularly popular one amongst a lot of people right now. And my second question would be, I guess, from that, are you hopeful about the next 10, 20 years? Because I guess it feels like we're entering into what's set to be a really tough and messy mm-hmm. few years in our politics. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's important to look beyond that. What is your outlook? Do you feel optimistic? Do you despair sometimes? Yeah, it, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, so we're a relatively young organisation, a new organisation on the scene. So we started off in Calais, like a number of grassroots organisations in the camp in Calais. Um, and we we started there by trying to think about what is, what's the problem we're trying to solve here rather than um, s- simply delivering aid, which was really obviously very important as well. Um, and... The interesting thing about the Calais jungle was that it was perhaps the bleakest place you've ever been, but also one of the most hopeful places you've ever been. Because in the face of such desperation, you had some of the most amazing work being done. Um, And you had lots and lots of people of all generations, not just young people, who had seen what was going on and decided to take a big leap out of their comfort zone to go and work somewhere or to go and volunteer, even just to go and distribute clothes or food for the day. Um, because they really felt that urge, that, that generational, um, challenge themselves. And so that's, I think as an organization, that's what keeps us going is that, um, is that there is that feeling, I think, uh, across the UK and across Europe, um, amongst a big, part of um you know amongst a big part of the population that that we have you know that we we can all do something and i know a lot of our listeners and activists are are in that group who are always looking to do something um if there's an action that any of them could take after listening to this what would that be yeah so we we're, we're looking to the immigration bill that's that's actually going through parliament at the moment um to try and secure an amendment that will push the government to make this big commitment for the our turn campaign um what we'd ask people to do is to to 
go to our website, Safe Passage, um, to sign up and then to write to their MP and we'll give you tools to do so. Or even better still, try and get a meeting with your MP. Um, you know, they get lo- loads of emails, loads of letters. Actually, you know, get together with a group of other people. Mm. In, um, we can help you do that uh, in your local area. Um, and then go and meet with your MP and say that you you care about this issue too and you want them to vote in favour of that amendment. Great. Well, Beth, best of luck to you. Hope it all goes well. Thanks for coming in. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. Keep your eyes peeled and your ears pricked for even more on Brexit and the immigration bill coming up. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Have a lovely week. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And many thanks to the brilliant Caroline Crampton, who produced this podcast.